the fruit of the Spirit is what the Bible gives us as the characteristics in the life of a Christian, the characteristics of the life of a follower of Jesus. And so if somebody were to ever ask you, well, what does a Christian look like? What's a Christian supposed to look like? How's this Christian supposed to act? Well, well, Galatians 5 gives us that description. It gives us that list of characteristics. And and so far over the past few weeks, we've we've gone through some of those characteristics. And I just want to let you know right out the gate that these aren't characteristics that that we uh, produce within ourselves. These are characteristics that the Holy Spirit on the inside of us produces in us. And, 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 And it's the qualities that are birthed on the inside of us from the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin to grow in our faith in Jesus, we should also begin to see these characteristics, these qualities begin to grow in us as well. And so, so far we've covered in this series, we've talked about love, We've talked about joy, peace, patience. Last week we talked about kindness. And today we are going to talk on the subject of goodness. Say goodness. Goodness. And what we're going to see in this message today is that goodness and kindness, kindness really go hand in hand. They're really very, very similar, and you're going you're gonna to take note of that as we begin to uh, 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 go through this, throughout this message today. And so before I jump into anything, I want to open up with a story, and it's a true story uh, that a young lady by the name of Denise Banderman, she uh, shares a story uh, about a, an experience she had in college. And it was this one particular day in college, it was, uh, it was the day of a final exam. And I believe it was for a class that was probably one of her hardest classes. And, and she'd been preparing uh, many, many weeks for this exam, studying and, and doing all the prep and review she can for this test. And so because it was final exam day, she got to class a little early. And as she got there, to no surprise, there were many other students that were already there that were, that were cramming in some last-minute studying for this final exam. Has anybody ever been there before where you, you do some last-minute studying? You're trying to get it all in to, to retrain, refrain, retrain some of the information that you've learned. And so all these students are there cramming in uh, for this test. And then the professor comes in, and he takes a few minutes to review I used to love it when the teacher would review because I think, well, maybe what they say is what's going to be on this test. And so he just took a few minutes to review this final exam. And at the end of his review, he made this statement to his class. He said, all this is in your textbook and you are responsible for all the content on this exam. And if you weren't already nervous when he made that statement, that probably would have made you even more nervous. And so the professor gave the word, and he says, you may begin your test. And every student took out their pen, and they took their exam paper, and they flipped it over to start the test. And Denise says that there was this kind of rush of surprise and awe that went around the room. And actually, let me read to you her words exactly. She says, I couldn't believe it. To my astonishment, every answer on the test was filled in. My name was even written on the exam in red ink. 
And she knew that this was the same scenario for every student in the class. Everybody was astonished, just like she was, that every answer on the test was already filled in. And she said, on the last page of the exam, there was this note that said this. It said, all the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on this final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get this A. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you would have loved to experience that in school? Like, imagine how relieved some of the students were that didn't do any studying. And then there were those that did study and cram in. And, and so all these students that did different variances of study all got this same grade of an A. Now, I would have loved to experience that in school. I would have loved to experience that while I was taking tests. I, I probably would have loved that professor to death. And there may be some of us in here this morning that may be saying, wow, that must be pretty good for Denise and the rest of her classmates to experience that type of undeserved kindness. That must be a really, really good professor, a really good teacher. And though we may think that and we may wish that we too would also experience that type of undeserved kindness. The reality is, every single person in this room today is experiencing undeserved kindness. Every single person here. Every person sitting here today is in a position of undeserved kindness. It is an undeserved kindness that we receive regularly. It is undeserved kindness that we receive on a daily basis. We are all sitting in the zone of undeserved kindness. Now, how can that be? And why is that? Simply put, because God is good. God is good. He's good. And, I, and, I, and this, this morning, my hope is that you would, that you would begin to see that that you would begin to believe that and that you would begin to experience that, that God really is good. And so as we begin to talk about goodness this morning, let me just jump right into the first point of my message early today. And so if you're taking notes today, which I hope you are, because you will forget this by 2 p.m. Last week it was 3 p.m. Now I moved it up an hour. 2 p.m. because of the time change. You will forget this by 2 p.m. today. So take notes on this and write this down. Point number one, goodness starts with God. Goodness starts with God. If you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. Again, we see another Jesus encounter where somebody has this very familiar question that they want to ask Jesus. And we've heard this question throughout the course of this series. But we see another individual, another man, ask Jesus this very familiar question. In Luke chapter 18, we'll begin at verse 19. It says, a certain ruler asked him, 
Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now that's an interesting answer that Jesus gave. Here we see another individual coming up to Jesus saying, Jesus, uh, uh, what must I do? What, what good deeds must I do? What good works must I do? What, what must I do to get to heaven? That is the question of the hour. Good teacher, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus just outright says, man, why do you even call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Jesus wanted to immediately direct this man's attention to God. Jesus wanted to immediately direct this man's attention to the source for all that is good, to God. Now, I don't know if maybe some people took offense to that, to that answer this morning. The fact that Jesus said that no one is good. And you may sit here this morning and say, but, but I know some really good people. Or you may be the one that here that says, man, I'm actually that good person. I am a good person, Chris. And I don't know how I feel about Jesus saying, well, no one is good. And so that may be right. You may be a good person or you may some, know some really, really good people. But let me just state some facts to you this morning. The reality is our standard of good is a lot different than God's standard. See, God's standard of good is ultimate perfection. God is the ultimate in goodness. God is the ultimate in holiness and perfection. God is the only one that is good, perfected good. He is all good. That's God's standard. Our standard of good is well, I'm better than the worst. See, our standard of good is, man, I'm good because I'm not a criminal like that person. I'm good because I'm not a murderer. I'm good because I, I, I'm not a terrorist. I'm good because I'm not like him. Our standard of good is being better than the worst. And so it's just safe to say that our standard of goodness is different than God's. And so Jesus was saying, look, I, I want you, you're calling me good. Why do you call me good? No one is good. And what he's saying is, look, uh, let me just direct you to the source of all that is good. And once you begin to see that no one else is good except for God, then you begin to understand and realize that there is nothing good that you can do to get to heaven. There's not enough money you could give to charity. There's not enough good deeds that you can do for somebody. You can't go to church enough. You can't pray enough. You can't worship loud enough. There is nothing you can do to get to heaven. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember that fact. You may be the nicest person in here this morning. You may be the most generous person in here. But that doesn't earn your spot in eternity with God. And so Jesus said, 
No one is good except for God. Everything about God is good. He is the ultimate in goodness. He is infinite goodness. Psalm 119, verse 68, the psalmist is talking about God, and he makes this statement. He says, you are good, and what you do is good. He said, God, not only God are you you, are you, do you encompass goodness, but, but even everything that you do is good. We see this all the way back at the beginning of creation, Genesis 1. God is speaking things into existence. Let there be light. Boom, there was light. And God begins to speak other things into existence. He begins to create and form and shape and call things into existence. He is the creator. Creates land, creates trees, vegetation, creates uh, uh, living creatures and animals. And then he takes the dirt from the earth and begins to form and shape man. And he breathes life into man and he, he creates humanity. He creates a man. And after all is said and done, after God has done all the creation that he wanted to do, he's done all the creating he's wanted to do, God steps back. And takes a look at his work. In Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I imagine God like an artist with a painted canvas, and the artist finishes his artwork, and he steps back and crosses his arms, and is like, man, that's, that's pretty good. Not just good, but it's very good. Why? Because everything God does is good. That was since the beginning of creation. God has been good. Goodness starts with God. But here's another aspect of God's goodness I want us to see this morning. And it's really the one I want us to focus on. But we know that everything God does is good. We know that God is the ultimate in goodness. But here's something interesting. God creates the earth, and God creates man. He creates humanity. He does all that creation, still knowing that one day man was going to turn, rebel, and sin against him. Yet God still created man. God still gave man life, knowing man was going to sin against him. Knowing man was going to rebel against him. Knowing man was going to eventually be disloyal to him. And yet he still created man anyway. And what we begin to see throughout the Bible, and we see throughout Scripture, we see God and, and, and his relation to humanity. We see God and his relation to mankind. And we see this kind of up and down roller coaster of man's devotion and loyalty to God. One minute, man is worshiping God. The next minute, they're rebelling against God. One minute, they're worshiping God. The next minute, they're hating God. One minute, they're loving on God. The next minute, they're sinning and rebelling against him. We see this up and down a roller coaster ride throughout the Old Testament. And the whole time, God remains faithful to humanity. God continue, continues to be good towards man. He continues to provide for men. He continues to bless man. He continues to, to, to protect men. God is good. 
yet man is fluctuating in its loyalty to God. And so what we see on display here is God's goodness towards man. We see God's patience towards man. We see God's kindness towards man. Let me read something to you. 2 Peter 3.9 It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so we see God's goodness in action. We see God's goodness not just in in, in the people in the Bible times, but we see that even in our own lives. We too are just like the people of the Bible. Our, our, Our loyalty and devotion to God goes up and down. One minute we're worshiping God, the next minute we're hating on God. One minute we're loving on God, the next minute we're sinning against God. One minute we're on our knees crying out to God, and the next minute we are rebelling against him. We are up and down just like like the Israelites in Scripture, but also just like we read in Scripture, God's faithfulness towards us, God's goodness towards us remains constant. God's goodness is displayed best in our rebellion, in our disloyalty in our lack of devotion to him. God is good. And goodness starts with him. Why? Because he is the ultimate in goodness. He is infinitely good. And he's patient with us. We read last week, Romans 2, 4. Don't you know that it is God's kindness towards us that is meant to lead men to repentance. It is God's graciousness towards us. It is his patience towards us. It is his goodness, his kindness towards us that leads us to repentance, that leads us to worship him, that leads us to change our lives. And all I'm doing this morning is to get you to see God's goodness towards you, to see his faithfulness towards you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. His love endures forever. Now the word endures there is interesting because when you endure something, it means it has to last. It means that it's going through something. If, if there's a time of peace, you really don't have to endure anything. So what that's saying is there is, it, is, is the Lord's love endures. What does it endure? It endures our selfishness. It endures our rebellion. It endures our lack of devotion. It endures our, endures our disloyalty. It endures all these different things that we do. His love is steadfast towards us. That's why it says give thanks to the Lord. Man, be grateful to God because he's good. Psalm 145.9 says, the Lord is good to all. Say to all. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. In Psalm 34.8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in 
him. So now we see this invitation. Now we see this invitation for humanity, for mankind to come experience the goodness of God. Come taste and see that God is good. Don't just take my word for it. Come experience God's goodness for yourself. Come see God's kindness for yourself. Come see God's patience towards you for yourself. Come see it. Don't just take my word for it. As a pastor, don't just take my word for it. Experience God's goodness for yourselves. And how do we do that? It's only done through Jesus. We get to taste and see God's goodness and experience the goodness of God through Jesus. Why? Because the greatest expression of God's love to us is the cross. The greatest expression of God's love for us is Jesus. It is Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. Verse, let's go down to verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so now we see this invitation for humanity to experience God's goodness and thank God that we get to experience his goodness today through the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not by your good deeds. Not by you being morally right. Not by how long or how loud you pray. Not by how many prayer meetings you go to. Not for how much you read the Bible. Man, I read the Bible. I do the Bible in a year, every single year, Chris. I read, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. Well, praise God. God doesn't love you any more or any less. But we experience God's goodness solely based on what Jesus did on the cross. And that now because of Jesus, we experience salvation. Now because of Jesus, the question is answered, what must man do? What can I do to get to heaven? What can I do to have eternal life? And Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. The professor has already taken the test for us. And just like the professor said, the Bible is telling us there is nothing that you did to earn this A. There is nothing that you did to pass this test. There is nothing that you did and nothing that you can do to experience salvation. but it is solely based on what Jesus has done for you and for me. So goodness starts with God. 
He is the ultimate in goodness. It says it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What does that mean? What that means is basically, man, I can't brag on what I've done to get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we can't say, boy, I know why I got here. I know why I got here because, man, I, I was a good father, man. I was a provider of my family. I protected my family. That's how I made it up here. Nope. I was a good mother. I took care of all my kids. I made sure all my kids didn't go hungry. I made sure all my kids were good, whatever, whatever. Well, that's great, but that didn't earn your spot up here. Man, uh, Chris, you don't, you don't know, man. I, I give so much to the Red Cross. I give so much uh, towards different uh, causes and nonprofits. Man, I, I give, I give, I give, I give. Well, that's great, but that didn't earn your spot up here. It is so that no one can boast. We can't boast in what we did. We can only boast in what Jesus did. And Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, died on a cross. Why? So that we can be forgiven of our sin. That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God. And when we flip the test over, we see every answer already answered. The goodness of God. Goodness starts with God. So now that we get an idea of what it means to experience the goodness of God, now that we have an idea to see, now we've been invited to experience the goodness of God. Now what's our next step? Now, what, what, this fruit of the spirit of goodness, what does that mean for me now? Well, now that we understand that goodness starts with God. Now, point number two, write this down. Now it means that goodness is expressed through us. God's goodness is expressed through us. See, we can only express goodness if we've experienced it. So goodness is expressed through us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, the Apostle Paul is giving some instruction to a young preacher named Timothy. And in this particular text, he's, he's giving us some instruction on in how to talk to rich people. He's giving them some instruction on how to talk to people who are pretty wealthy and how to talk to people who are pretty affluent. But, but I believe that these instructions are, are pretty general because I think these are things that we can do as well. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Stop right there. So that's pretty general for us. That's something we can receive and do too. Don't put too much stock in your wealth. Don't put, put so much stock in your money. Don't, don't put so much stock in that. Why? Because that is so uncertain. That's just so uncertain. Instead, what? Put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So now he's talking about God's goodness. 
put your hope in God. Why? Because he's good. He is good. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's one of my favorite verses right there. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What is he saying? Basically, he's saying to all of us is, you're not really living until you are experiencing and expressing the goodness of God. You think you know what life is, because you have the career. You think you know what life is because you got money in your account. You think you know what life is. You think you know what it is to live the good life. But he says, no, you don't really know what living is until you've experienced God's goodness. You don't really know what living is until you express his goodness to the world. He said, put your hope in God and his goodness. And now the next thing I tell you to do, now express that goodness to the world. Be rich in good deeds. Be rich in good deeds. And be generous and willing to share. So now we see this expression of God's goodness to us. Now, I don't want you to get confused. Because I just said earlier that there are no good deeds or good works that you can do to get to heaven. And I still stand by that statement. But now we see them commanding us to do good deeds. Commanding us to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share why. See, we don't do good deeds for salvation. But we do good deeds because of salvation. I don't do good works so that God can love me, but I do good works because he loves me. Do you understand? See, we are expressing God's goodness to the world. We are expressing the fullness of who he is. We are expressing the perfect goodness of God to a world that doesn't have a clue of what that is. And so the goodness of God in, in our context is expressed in many different ways. When we walk in forgiveness, we are expressing the goodness of God. I can forgive you because God has forgiven me. I can be kind to you because God has been kind to me. I can be patient with you because God has been so patient with me. I can be friendly to you because God has been friendly with me. I can be generous to you because God has been ever so generous with me. I can be considerate of you because God has considered me. And this is where kindness and goodness go hand in hand and are very relatable. Because if you remember what I said last week, we have no right to be entitled to anything. We sure walk around like we have entitlement. 
But you're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling God. But when we walk around with a sense of entitlement, when we walk around as if we are better than everybody else, when we walk around as if we've got it all figured out, it's dangerous because when we walk around that way, it, 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 it runs us in, in the zone of, of looking at people less than us. It, it runs us in the zone of, of looking at people as, as like, man, they're they less than me. And, and because they look less than me or because they don't have it figured out like I do, man, I can treat them different. But the reality for every single person in this room today is that we were all sinners who needed a savior. We were all evil, wicked, sinful people who needed somebody to save us. And there was no good deed that I could do that could wipe away my sin. There is no good thing that I could do that could get me to heaven. There is no good thing that I could do to get God to look at me and love on me. There was nothing good that I could do. I needed Jesus, and I still need Jesus. But now that puts us in a position to express God's goodness to the world. And so my challenge to all of us this morning is are you expressing the goodness of God? Is the way that you are currently living your life now a good expression of God's goodness? Are you kind to people? Are you friendly? Are you generous? Are you patient? Are you forgiving? Are you loving? See, because if we really were, then I believe some of us would talk to people differently. See, it's because of God's goodness, it doesn't give us the right to be unkind to anybody, if we can be really honest. God's goodness doesn't give me the right to look down on anybody else. God's goodness doesn't give me the right to speak harshly to somebody else. And that's why I don't get it when some people make excuses for themselves when they say things like, well, you know what, I, you know, it's just my personality, it's just how I was raised, it's just how I was brought up. Man, I, I'm not kind to people. I talk to people crazy because that's just who I am. That's just who I am, and you're just going to have to deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. Why? And keep in mind, I'm talking about people who are followers of Jesus. I don't have to deal with it. Why? Because my Bible says that you are a new creation. The old has been made new. The old, mean, lying, cheating, deceitful Chris has been made new. Why? Because of Jesus. And because I've been made new, I talk differently. I act differently. I think differently. I see people differently. 
And so how's your expression of the goodness of God? And if you don't have a good expression of the goodness of God in your life, then I would question, have you truly experienced the goodness of God? Because as I said at the beginning, we are all sitting here today in the position of receiving undeserved kindness towards us. We are all sitting here today as recipients of undeserved salvation, undeserved grace. I didn't deserve a thing Jesus did for me. I didn't deserve him to take the cross for me. I didn't deserve him to die for me. But he did it anyway. That is God's goodness. Goodness starts with him. And it is expressed through us. Let's stand to our feet.